listening to Unraveled, the Adverb Podcast. Welcome to Unravel, the Artwerk podcast. My name is Philipp Hindal, and with me is Bernard Viennard. A few weeks ago, we visited Venice, and we had a look at the Biennial. In the last episode, we talked about two pavilions in the Giardini, which is the epicenter of the art show. But there are national pavilions all over the city, and for the second part of our Venice special, we'd like to look at one that is situated on the island of Judeca. If you cross the water from the main island to the south, you'll find the calm island that traditionally holds shipyards and wood workshops. And in one of those, you'll also find the Estonian pavilion of this year's biennial. The artist Chris Lemzalu has been picked to represent the Baltic country. Lemzalu teamed up with a curatorial equipe that consists of the curator Maria Aruso, the poet Andrew Berardini, the artist Sarah Lucas, her friend and collaborator Tamara Luke, and the researcher Irene Campolmi. Oh, and the artwork Birth V, High and By by Chris Lemzalu is not only the multi-level sculpture that incorporates ceramics and a fountain. The inauguration ritual, which you can hear in the background, was brought to life by a large group of musicians and performers. The soundtrack was composed by the musician Kip Malone, formerly of the band TV on the Radio, and his music can be heard in the exhibition. Irene Campolmi is an independent curator and a scholar whose current research includes ethics, sustainability and research in contemporary curating. We talked to Irene over the phone to learn more about the curatorial process. We'll leave it at that and let Irene take us through the preparation process of the show and the many facets of Chris Lamzalou's work. So thank you, Irene, to be here with us today. Uh, I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Could you first tell us about the concept of the pavilion? The, the title of the pavilion hosts the exhibition that, that Chris thought to call Earth B. I am by for many, many different reasons. First, because in a way, birth, it's something that it's always an action. And, uh, and, and it's something that takes place basically constantly and all the time. And at the same time, in many different ways, because we, the, we have a, a physical birth, but at the same time, we have many, uh, many births in our life, spiritually, but also intellectually and, and sentimentally. So the idea was actually to base the whole installation on, on the sort of like constant regeneration and constant birth. And um, the, in fact, the entire, the entire piece is built around the column that was already pre-existent. And Chris thought about like creating this sort of three levels or three rounds. On the, on the ground floor, there will be cultures sort of like alluding or representing the birth in water. Uh, so actually the birth, the actual birth, the one that we also have in our uh, mother's uterus and, and sort of like creating this connection between uh, birth and water and at the same time connecting the, ele the element of the water with Venice where uh, water is the element that gave uh, Venice uh, its reputation and, and, it, and its majesty but at the same time uh, it's also 
the element that is, is causing uh, Venice problems because, I mean, we know that the future of the city, if not I mean, uh, if no solution is, is found, this be um, completely submerged by the by the water, which is actually the same factor that gave they gave the city. I just wondered because you you choose this year like to be at Judeca, so you have like to go and to to cross actually the the lagoon in order to the water yeah the, the water exactly this element in order to to reach it and you are you are in a in a old woodworking shop did you did you choose it like um, specifically like for the work of Chris no I, I, that's that's a very interesting point actually um, uh, the commissioner Maria Russo and also check different spaces and when she had the different options I mean Chris was particularly interested in the fact that this is not just a wooden workshop but it's a, it's a workshop for uh, repairing ships and that's why also at the entrance of the of the entire space you have a ship with these mannequins holding keys the interesting fact is that when Chris the first time saw the space uh, there was a ship in the same uh, sort of position and and then they were working um, aside and she was she got quite interested in this idea of like the labor that anyway continues and and um, and this idea of the of a, of a constant labor behind the life uh, or a life behind uh, something the only thing we, she wanted actually to have the space open because what uh, is now covered by um, a plywood wall was actually and that showed that the previous workshop was actually visible and actually yes I mean she she kind of like also liked this uh, multi-layered history of the space and then the fact that it was um, that Judeca is an island and so it was also this sort of like a journey to to reach it and I must admit that it was also a journey for us to reach it every day and and it was quite an interesting one because it, it really created this sort of path to reach ritual a ritual mm. and as you know ritual is a very is a very important component in Chris's work she is um she's this sort of shaman uh, in a way and everything that she does has a uh, ritualistic component mm. and i must admit that now we'll come back to complete describing the work but a, a very important aspect for Chris since we were talking uh, back in uh, already may Uh, last year, it was that the entire pavilion, the entire creation of the pavilion, uh, the entire exhibition should not be an exhibition per se, but should be a process, it should be a communitarian process where everyone that has been part of his life, her uh, private life or her professional life, would be part of this. That's why, in a way, there is no curator of the exhibition, but we there are supporting minds. And uh, Andrew Berardini, and uh, Sara Lucas and Tamara Luke and, and also the entire team that has worked on the installation. It has been a very precious and incredible experience because us, in a way, was part of the same community. And Chris also flew in a lot of her friends within the 20 days of the installation. I, I must say that 
that the end result which we saw with the con- with the opening uh, performance was actually for us the conclusion of, of a long journey in which each of us sort of participated uh, those who were installing practically oh. those who were con- you know yeah. uh, sharing thoughts with Chris uh, or those who were mm-hmm. actually just putting music and cooking for us mm-hmm. it, it has been um, it has been a very interesting a, a very beautiful journey and that so- also relates to the title of the exhibition because Chris she really, she really felt that this was also like a way of um, so thinking are... about the birth of a of a different kind of community, a community of of friends, a community of people who share the same uh, sensitivity towards mm. uh, artistic practice, towards music. I mean, and that's what it's called high and by, yeah, because it's a, in a way this is a sort of a this is a title that came a bit later, but it's it's her first debut in the very big artwork context, but at the same time, it's also her last sort of uh, expression in these forms, because mm. at the moment she's really considering, uh, I mean, after this experience, she will she will continue in a different way and with a different practice that uh, she has already initiated in a way. So um, just um, to get back to, to the curatorial team, we thought it was very fascinating that apart from Chris Lemzalou, it was, um, it was a, a, a writer, another artist and two curators. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit more about the concept of this curatorial team, which seems itself curated and about the roles of these advisors? I mean, it's uh, as I said, like, I think personally, we have different people involved. I mean, Tamara Luca, uh, she has been a mentor for Chris since she was a student and uh, she has followed her work. She has been the first one presenting her work uh, back in Tallinn. So uh, I would say she has been always the, the mentor that accompanied uh, Chris. And that's why that's why she has been part of this consultations um, night consultation, I would say, because Tamara is a, is a really beautiful person. Uh, she would her and Chris have had a habit of um, spending uh, some you know evenings together and um, at the fireplace at Tamara's place. So it's that's super super nice. I would say like her was really her role was a guidance guidance one. Sarah Lucas has also been like um, a sort of like professional. Uh, uh, mentor for Chris since she was also working for Gelatin and uh, they have been always in uh, constant contact. I think she also her, all her work with the with the ex has been always a reference to to Sarah Lucas in in many ways. And then Andrew is is I mean a, a, a poet that writes uh, in prose. They met uh, during a, a visit that Andrew paid in Tallinn, uh, I think like two years ago. And after that. Um, Andrew has written about Chris, I think, in a very poignant way and in a very sensitive way that Chris felt that his sensitivity towards her work should be definitely included also. And uh, and then is it, I, I guess there is myself. I, I had a connection with Chris since the beginning, but I'm not a poet. I'm, I'm not a mentor for Chris. And so my kind of role was always to be a sort of like a curator. And when Chris said that, there are no curators in this project. I think uh, I think I kind of learned more, and I kind of start rethinking also about what is a uh, what is the role also of what we call a curator. I mean, definitely it's no definitely. I, I mean, our role has not been to be uh, names accompanying that that sort of like introduce the word, but we, we have been sort of like on the backdrop and supporting with our capacities and qualities and and will this project.
what is for you like this role of as curators? Is it a more a logistical part or is it as well in a sense the content of, for instance, the performance? It's also, I mean, myself, all of us has been have been part of the content because we started talking about this project. Uh, I mean, at least with Chris back in May, last May, and uh, and we have continuously talked about this every time that we have met, especially after her exhibition in London, uh, which was a preliminary for the for the development of the bigger project. Uh, when in London she, she did the, the project for life with the fountains, I think it was one of the, it was the beginning of the project Birth V, Birth in Venice. And also, I mean, I think each of us has, have been more, all of us have been involved in the content and, in, and throughout these years. We have also been together in Tallinn, in basically it was like end of February for an entire week and we have met every day at the studio, had nights and uh, dinners and days together discussing the project and, and just like brainstorming and think think about practical solution but also conceptual one. And and then my role also has been doing, dealing with a lot of curatorial practical things also there on site. Because actually we were wondering a bit about Chris Lemsalu practice itself. We can see an evolution between like from the costumes and dressing up she used in her youth to the more the ceramic practice she developed during her studies and now this this performative shamanic process. Could you explain how does it come to such an evolution? I guess it's like living, you know, in a way. It's a, it, it just goes. Um, she has always uh, been very attached to this sort of, as I said, uh, um, rituals. When in uh, 2015 uh, she was performing for, during freeze in the booth of Timnikova and Kazela, she was actually like standing, uh, actually lying underneath a giant turtle shell for more than six hours a day and that was a sort of like a ritual in order also to sort of activate or give life to this shelf of a turtle and and it had uh, also symbolic meaning people were asking her why how could you stay uh, underneath this turtle shell when everything is really messy and fuzzy around in an art fair and then uh, i mean her answer was like perhaps i was even like seeking uh, a shelter you know or It's a sort of also demonstration that, in a in a way, you know, within the art fair fever, you know, an eagerness of being always present everywhere. She was standing there. She was lying there still without having any eagerness of being part of this art world. Um, if I answer to your question, it would be like it's a matter of like trying. It's a matter of being in an organic process where where you feel that you want to go in a certain direction and you have you're already oriented towards that then uh, then you go i mean i'm recently working with with Jesper Just mm-hmm. and he's trained as a painter and then he has always done film uh, throughout his entire career and in the past i would say three, four years he has concentrated on developing performative work does that uh, mean as well maybe kind of path through demater- dematerialization because there is probably as well like this trend or this this process like this natural process mm. in the art world no actually no actually i wouldn't call it that because her work her ceramic work has an enormous importance in her practice i would actually suggest just a different uh, turn the reason why she involved five performers during the opening performance is because it goes back to this collective endeavor collective work being part of a of a community and that's why she didn't perform herself she really wanted to have other people activating or you know giving life to her own work because as she says many times like it's not my work i, pu- I place it there but then it's really the result of the work of many 
and her next turn is gonna also be in that sense. It's, gonna, it's not gonna be anymore a sort of like individual practice, but it's really going to reflect on a larger dimension on how we work as a community, even in the artwork. Even if there is an artist name, this is not just the work of one. I felt with the opening performance and the props and the this environment, it almost felt like an opera. Is that the direction yeah, that exactly. her practice is going to involve in? Certainly, it's going to involve more um, music with her collaboration with Kip Malone, mm -hmm. who also did the soundscape for the pavilion in... Um, in Venice. And I mean, also the soundscape, If just to connect uh, and go back to finish describing the work, the soundscape is collects the different <clears throat> like um, noises or sounds that Chris and Keep have sort of encountered in Venice throughout the, the installation days. So it, it has everything. It has the sound of the water, it has the sound of a coitus, it has the sound of, yeah, of an orgasm, of cry uh, and screams. So, But also like very peaceful like melody so it's it's a sort of as you say like an opera yet not pay, played or performed every day uh, within that uh, that space but but certainly it has a, uh, it has another dimension because the three layers that we see the three layers of vaginas of vulva which also sort of connect with the title birth v because it's a birth in venice but also v because the vagina as as a as The vagina is the the giver, you know, the place, uh, the the only channel through which life comes out in the world, right? So the three layers uh, of vaginas, which are kind of encapsulated in these beautiful shells, as a Venus also, you know. So this this the V, as you can see, has many references to vagina, to Venus. It shows the birth in these uh, basins of water in the lower level, in the ground level, and then in the second level, it shows the the life. You see one vagina holding grapes, and then a bottle of wine, and then another one uh, holding um, a basketball, or another one, for example, holding a uh, one car, um, a piece of a car, and another one like an, a musical instrument. And then they're all supported, basically, as you could see, by hands uh, that comes out of these um, old water basins. And then at, their, uh, at the same time, the second level of uh, vaginas also holds the third level, which is represented by these vaginas, uh, shells of vaginas with, with feathers and with wings as a sort of like alluding to, to death. I mean, that is also something that it's, a com it's an element that has always been uh, present in uh, increased ways. <laughs> Thanks a lot for this uh, beautiful description. We have a, as well a more personal or point of view on your side regarding the, the pavilion and the nationalities. Uh, we were mm -hmm. like uh, focusing and researching a bit on the history of the, the biennial and the pavilions are res like in the Giardini are still like reserved for the Western nations, like for the biggest Western nation. We, we were wondering if you, you think that it might happen a change in this kind of hierarchy? Well, thank you so much for this question. This is a kind of like, I mean, it's not a hot topic, but of course, Venice Biennial is an amazing experience. It's still one of the first Biennial founded in 1895. And already at that time, not even, there were not the pavilions that we are seeing now. 
these are just the results of an history like that came uh, basically after the war, the Second World War, and yeah, in between the, the two wars. But the problem is that in a context on, uh, in which we talk about decolonialization and you know going beyond the the, the concept of state, nation, and and the nation that represents its sort of art, which is a cultural representation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Venice Biennale is still the, the most evident contradiction. If you ask me if I would ever curate an, a biennial, I would say, well, that would be an, a big endeavor to, to even ask or as a project for as a curatorial concept to see whether some of the na- national pavilion could borrow their spaces to other nations. Because one thing that has to be really understood is the cost of renting mm-hmm. pavilions for those nations that are not part of the Giardini. Thank you, Irene, for this insightful talk. We would like to remind our listeners that this year the Estonian pavilion is situated at 211 Judeka and will be open until the 24th of November. Thanks for listening to the show. This was Unraveled, the Advec podcast. The show is hosted by Bernard Vienna, Philippe Henda, and Nina Kettiger, myself. It is produced by Advec. Our theme song and jingle were produced by artist and musician Laura Katzawan. As we're starting new with the podcast, please send comments and suggestions to unraveled at art-verk.ch. Verk is written W-E-R-K. You can find all images of the works and informations discussed in this episode on our page www.art-verk.ch. If you would like to advertise or sponsor one episode, please write at contact at art-verk.ch